Welcome to the Lucas Baseball Podcast, brought to you by DrRoto.com. Check out our fantasy baseball draft guide. Start dominating your drafts and your leagues. Today on this episode, we are wrapping up our infield breakdowns with the shortstop rankings and tiers in fantasy baseball. Of course, joined as always by my co-host, Lucas Beery. Lucas, last week we pumped out second base and third base, week before catcher and first base. Today, again, shortstop, and it's as deep a position as it comes this season. Without a doubt, it is the deepest, the sexiest, the best position. If you're only going to listen to one of our positional previews, this is the show here for entertainment value. I will say, though, you cannot wait on this position. You You want one of these elite players, maybe even two, if you're willing to fill in middle infield. That's one of the things I've heard people say. Just because it's deep, you can wait on it. I highly disagree because you're going to be losing out a lot of opportunity of great stats, and there is a cliff to fall off of that we'll hit on later. There definitely is a cliff to fall off of, and I mean, even the guys in the middle of the shortstop position are still pretty solid. If you can get, you yeah. know, two of the guys, uh, maybe in the 11 to 15 or 16 range, you're still doing okay, but you don't want to wait after that that's for sure but we'll get to all of that we'll start with the elites with trey turner fernando tatis and bo bachette doesn't get much better than this really turner to me at least is the number one pick of the three guys some will argue it should be tatis jr and i will say from an upside standpoint no one is better in fantasy baseball than tatis jr but as many people have probably said he has the shoulder situation and whether or not he's going to require surgery at some point is a bit of a risk. That is scary enough for me to take Turner over him. Power numbers from Turner are not as good, but the average run scored and stolen bases could be and should be at least as good, maybe even better than that of Tatis. But Bo Bichette is the guy I really want to highlight here the most because obviously an excellent player, fifth player off the board in most cases, sometimes even sixth if someone takes Vlad Jr. in the top five. But if you look at all the numbers across the board, Lucas, Bichette has a chance to not just outproduce one of these guys, but all of these guys. Not just the Turner and Tatis, but everyone going ahead of him. He can hit 300, he can score 100 plus, he can drive in 100 plus, he can hit 30 homers, and he can swipe 20 to 25 bases. Having the fourth or fifth pick in your draft and being able to take him seems like a huge win because he really could finish the season as the number one player in fantasy. I agree. It's not outlandish to say that. He he has a really high floor because he's insanely young, hits in, a, in a, an excellent lineup, still has a lot of development left to do, so that also raises his ceiling too. So no matter what you get, I think as long as you can get you know, 23-plus homers, 23-plus steals with a around 290-plus batting average. That's going to be good on the floor. And then on the ceiling, he could take a tick up. He's cut his strikeout rate down 2% every single year. He's entering his age 24 season, so he's still ungodly young. And best of all, it's his birthday today. So uh, happy birthday, Bo. But, yeah, love it. Happy birthday, Bo. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any further thoughts on Turner and Tatis? I know Turner we've talked about on another yeah. show. Tatis, we haven't as much. I mean, there's a lot we can say, but there's also a lot we don't have to say because it's fairly obvious how good these guys are. Yeah, we did hit up uh, Turner previously. It's pretty self-explanatory. He's an amazing player. 
go for him. Tatis Jr. On the other hand, as I was kind of working on some some uh, shortstop ranks and tiers, I did have Bo Bichette ahead of Tatis to start. But then once I started diving into it, just for the safety of avoiding Tatis's shoulder. But then once I got into it here, I tell you, Lou, I actually did put uh, Tatis Jr. ahead of Bo. 21% barrel rate last year. I mean, this guy is just out of control. 40-40 could be in the cards for Tatis Jr. It's all a matter of risk tolerance. And uh, I don't blame anyone that takes Bo ahead of Tatis. But, uh, you know, it's a fun little... little uh, yeah, I mean, there. Lucas, I'm not seeing that happen. I don't think I have seen that happen. And I'm not even saying that you should do it. Uh, it's more so that having the fourth, fifth, even sixth pick in the draft mm-hmm. and being able to take Bo Bichette could end up being a massive win for you. I'm just, I, I guess the thing is, is that I've heard some really well-respected uh, fantasy minds kind of be out on Tatis inside the top five, which, look, he did he did injure the shoulder multiple times before this year even started. Some people who have knowledge on the situation said that the shoulder uh, had been an issue before last year. So this is not something that's just going to necessarily just automatically go away. Now, hopefully it does, but it's not a guarantee. So I understand someone wanting to swerve off of that risk inside the top five is all my point is. Absolutely. And with your first pick in any draft, you really want to try and avoid the risk as much as you want Mm -hmm. the upside. Draft for upside later on take a guy that you feel the most confident in producing first-round numbers for you. And again, Tatis has the upside to be the yes. very best. And, and, and a full season is the very best, but that's not a guarantee, although nothing is. Nothing is, and I am I am good with him ahead of Bo. I wouldn't, if I were to have that two pick in a bunch of drafts, I would probably not keep taking Tatis over and over again. But, you know, one or two shares I'd be more than happy with. Just wouldn't one overexposure as a final point there. I'm with you. Next here, the borderline elite. We got Tim Anderson, Trevor Story, and Xander Bogarts. All studs, just not as good as the top options. Anderson, basically the light version of the top three guys. He does everything that they do, just not as well because he hasn't hit 25 homers. He hasn't stolen 20 or more bases since 2018. He also doesn't have that RBI production. But with all that being said, still a five-tool talent and going to help you in many ways. You can look at Trevor Story, former first-round talent in drafts. Could be, again, if he can regain that 280 to 290 batting average. He's had multiple seasons of 35 homers and 20-plus stolen bases. The thing is, where does he sign once the lockout ends? How will it impact his price? Especially because it can sometimes take a player a season or two to adjust to not playing half their games in Coors Field should he not re-sign in Colorado. Regardless of all that, though, seemingly a lock for 2020 wherever he plays. And then with Bogarts, uh, you'll be probably happy if you get 10 steals from him. I wouldn't be surprised if it's only four or five, though. The one guarantee from Bogart seemingly is that he's going to hit around 300, score between 90 to 100 runs, and drive in 80-plus potential for 100-plus, depending on his lineup spot. Elite talent that is almost forgotten about at times because of the talent mm-hmm. ahead of him. But all three of these guys are excellent, excellent options, assuming you either miss on the first two or you want to use Trey at second base and get one of them as your shortstop. Oh, absolutely. I have, uh, I've done some drafts where in my first four picks, I've taken two of these, two of the players that we've mentioned and I've filled up middle infield right away. I had Tim Anderson as the shortstop, backed him up with Xander Bogarts the next round in round four. And I was thrilled with it. Anderson, 
he he's had a history of missing some games the last couple of years. Uh, hamstring issues kind of plagued him last year, but still, though, he put 17 and 18 up for homers and steals. And over the past three years, even though people think that he has horrible plate discipline, which is true, his hit duel prevails, and he has a 322 batting average over the past three years. So another safe 300 guy with 2020 potential. If Anderson stays fully healthy, I think 2025-25 could be in the cards for the best offense in the AL Chicago White Sox if they uh, do what we think. Story, on the other hand, is a little bit tougher to figure out. Me personally, we were talking him up in October as a good buying opportunity for this year, and my opinion still hasn't changed. If you're looking for 25 homers and 20-plus steals, hopefully in a good lineup, maybe Houston. Who knows? We'll see where he goes. But he's also cut down his strikeout rate tremendously since he entered into the league. And even though people may think Story is a free-swinging, high-strikeout guy, he's right around 23 24% in that range. So he's a little bit uh, safer than some people might expect as far as that goes. Batting average-wise, he is going to take a hit leaving cores. But 250, 260 with 25, 20, uh, hitting third or fourth in a lineup, maybe even two, that's something I can live with pretty well. I mean, not everyone is going to take that hit for leaving cores, remember? Yeah. Um, I mean, they might, They, they a lot of guys that play in cores already take that hit when they go on the road, uh, but not playing in cores at all or only playing there maybe anywhere from three to nine times a year, depending on the division he goes to and the team he goes to. Um, I mean, look at DJ LeMahieu, for instance. But then you look at Arenado. Arenado's average took the hit. LeMahieu's didn't. In fact, it actually improved. So there's certain guys who actually um, not having the Coors hangover effect and then going back into Coors can kind of put together a season that we're not even expecting from them because they're away from that. So as much as it can actually help, or hurt, uh, you know, Story could end up being in a better position away from Coors. I totally agree. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the Coors hangover point. And, you know, the reason you take guys like Story here in the second and even third round, I've taken him in the second before and didn't feel bad about it, is so that you can avoid your Andres Jimenez's uh, and, and some of your other Rymel Tapia rabbits. And you can just fill in your lineup with your, your good power bats at the end. And then we can kind of go on to Bogarts if you're ready for that. Oh, certainly, man. I mean, again, I already said this is a guy that can kind of do a bit of everything, stolen bases less than a lot of the other guys we've talked about, but um, might be the safest of these three players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bogarts is definitely one of my favorite players in the game. He's just unbelievably steady. He really has never let you down in fantasy. I mean, the steals have dried up to more of the four to eight probably range. But elite lineup, elite average, hopefully 25-plus homers. If you're in an auction league, I think I said this with Arenado last week, but if you spend your your 25 to, to $28 on Bogarts, the odds you get disappointed are going to be very low. So he's a super safe bet. The only issue is that shortstop is one of the rare positions where you can load up your stolen bases. But if you can plan around not getting a lot of steals at shortstop, Bogarts is a tremendous pick going around pick 50. Yeah, certainly is. Anything else on these three before we head to the next tier? That's it. All right, next tier, huge edge. We got Marcus Semien, Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor, Jazz Chisholm, and Jorge Polanco. And a lot to like in this tier still. I do feel that 
couple of these guys might be getting overdrafted, though. I mentioned it a bit on our second base show with Marcus Semien and Jazz Chisholm. Uh, we know Semien was amazing last year with the Jays, but it was a contract year, and it was a best lineup in baseball, arguably, with the Toronto Blue Jays, a division that have very friendly hitter ballparks in the AL East. But now going to Texas, which is not lineups not even remotely comparable it's a pitcher's ballpark all of a sudden and the division itself is much less hitter friendly overall so i just don't see sammy putting together that same type of season we saw in 2021 and if he's not doing that uh you might be overdrafting him and then quickly with jazz sure we know there could be 20 home or 20 stolen bases but he really dropped off after April, especially in the stolen base department. Nine of his 23 stolen bases, Lucas, came in April last year, meaning he only stole 14 over the final five months. Um, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not considered a speed guy, in my opinion, at that point. Overall numbers kind of skewed because of his early start, and even with batting average and on-base percentage. Uh, being drafted for the speed and power combo, it's possible he gets that 2020, like I mentioned, but his batting average could crush you, and you may not get the amount of steals you're expecting to. Those are some strong points there with Jazz. Uh, you and I do uh, do differ on this one a little bit. I'm a bit more in the Jazz camp. There's a few reasons that I'll briefly touch on. For one, 2020 guys are few and far between. There's probably, what, 10 to 12, maybe 15 of them in the draft if you're being generous. And I certainly think that he has a good candidate to get that. He's going to make, he's going to have his playing time. Uh, he's not, he's the face of the franchise. So I don't think they're going to demote him to AAA Jacksonville or anything. And he does have good power potential. The strikeouts do need to be cleaned up a little bit there. 29% is unacceptable. We need to see that drop down to 25% or, or better. That is interesting that he didn't run. I know he dealt with some COVID and hamstring issues as the season went on. I think there's a possibility that could play a role, but look, you're taking this guy in the top 75. There is some bust risk, but it's also an upside play as well with the floor of him playing and producing something that you'll like, but he could come up short. I'm still pro jazz, but yeah, you bring up some good points. Yeah. I mean, his percentage, I think he was about 75% or so in the steals department. Um, not bad, but not like great as you would want. Um, the yeah. batting average overall, 248 doesn't look as bad, but what if it's 225 or 230? Um, and it's trending that way based on the, the way the second half of the season went. Um, trouble getting on base. Be lucky, I think, to get a 300 on base percentage at this point as well based on his approach. So those things scare me because of where he's going. It's not that I don't like the player. It's I don't like the ATP. That makes a ton of sense. Listen. As much as I have been on into jazz, I do have to put my money where my mouth is. I only have one share out of about 12 teams so far, so I will admit that. But I also will admit, too, that similar to how Luis Robert was going around pick 75 a few years ago, he automatically jumped up about four, about three, four rounds the next year. And listen, I wouldn't be that surprised if jazz were to do that with a 25-25 monster season when he develops in age 24. Certainly so. Do you have any thoughts on Semyon? High volume player, 700 plate appearances pretty much every year. So that proves to me that he's an Iron Man, takes really good care of his body, and knows how to how to uh, manage manage a full season. That also can go the other way, where sometimes you can just play 
tons of plate appearances and then just fall off a cliff. But I don't think that I would worry about that, even though it's, we have seen that. No, he's Steve, a good player. He's just not in yeah. the same situation he was a year ago. To, so to expect similar results, I think, is uh, a little optimistic. It is. If, you, if you're okay with 30 homers and maybe 12 steals with 90, 90 and a 260 average, if you're okay with that, where he goes, then it's a good deal, but he usually goes before I'm ready. After pick 60, he could be in range for me there, but he doesn't necessarily slip that far. I haven't seen him slip that far. I've seen him go even no. earlier than the, his ADP, and that's kind of why I'm saying that. And I need to be clear again. I like Semyon and Jazz as players. I just don't like mm-hmm. the ADP, especially with guys like Baez, Lindor, and even Polanco. Um in this tier of players. I have no issues where any of them are going. Baez OBP might not be great, but he can hit around 265, 30 homers, and 15-plus stolen bases, which is very similar to what you just said you could get from Semyon. So that's Mm -hmm. one example. Lindor coming off a bad year, of course, but he was also once a first-round talent with 30 homer and 20 stolen base potential. And Polanco, certainly the most risky of these three guys, coming off an amazing season, though, and has now shown the ability that he can hit 30 homers, swipe anywhere, from you know 9 to 13 bases my issue with Polanco really is that it's his first 30 homer season and only his second double digit steal season so there might be some regression which is why I mentioned a little bit of risk Mm -hmm. but he's 28 he's in the prime power years could certainly come close to replicating the 2021 season has a good lineup spot and still has some decent hitters around him despite the twins likely being a bottom dweller yeah it's a little strange whenever a player pops up into this pretty much elite tier, honestly. Uh, I know Jazz was expected because he was a premium prospect, got moved for really an ace in the MLB and and, and Zach Gallen. And with us as dynasty guys, it wasn't a surprise to see Jazz rise this quickly. Polanco, on the other hand, kind of did come out of nowhere. We've touched up on him a a little bit, but his pole power uh, transformed him. So he's not really the same player that you used to see. Um, and I actually, in a weird way, think that he's kind of a really high floor guy where he could hit 25 homers. The, the steals were inefficient. So there's a possibility they give him the red light on the base paths, but I still think that you're looking at eight to 10 plus steals with a 265 plus batting average with 25 homers and 85, 85 plus and the runs and RBIs. I think he's actually a, a safe bet here with the dual eligibility as well. All right, good stuff there, man. You got anything else on this tier? Yes, we didn't uh, hit into Lindor. Um, I oh, tell you, sorry, I thought I did, oh, that, but oh yeah, <laughs> oh you did. Uh, I just I just didn't get a chance to kind of chime in on him. Please do. This is another one that's a very tricky uh, player to look at. We were talking about Drew Mas- Rasmussen before the pod, and uh, Lindor kind of is in the same way. This year he's being bought or drafted i mean as i just want to say first off i gotta say i bet that's one of the first times in podcast history (laughs) that rasmussen and lindor have been mentioned in the same sentence if uh if this lockout doesn't end who knows people could uh could talk about uh whoever knows but yeah no i hear you (laughs) with uh with lindor the expectation in this draft spot is that he will be a 25 plus home run guy and that's actually where he was pacing towards, despite uh, rumors of his great demise. He was a bit rougher, though, on the hitting than we'd really ever seen. So 
I don't know. There is some risk with Lindor, but with a player of his pedigree and what he's shown, as well as the the steals that he's going to provide, I, I still like him a lot. But is there as much risk know. in the fourth round, though? If the batting average continues to stay pretty low, he could have some risk. But but we'll I mean, that batting average is still better than Jazz Chisholm. That's instance. true, but Chisholm... Yes, that is true. And, and Lindor and has a better track record of 2020 than Chisholm does. He does, and that's where the discount of Chisholm comes into place as well as uh, the growth upside. But with Lindor, one other kind of final thing that I wanted to throw in there is that not only did he make a bit less contact last year, which is a small red flag, but his park downgrade from Cleveland to New York, it was a, it was a bit of a park, uh, park uh, downgrade. Definitely. The, the big contract, you probably think, weighed over his head. It's impossible to prove that, but to me, it makes a lot of sense. I'm still Also, changing him. teams and leagues can do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know I'm know. i sounding kind of negative on Lindor. It's just there are a few hesitations with him, but I still am I'm very comfortable with him. But there are some considerations to be had. Yeah, in round four, would you be okay with 250, 22 homers, and 16 stolen bases? Yeah, I would take that. I think I think that's a relatively close floor for Lindor if he's healthy in a full season. Especially Mets did improve their lineup quite a bit as well. They did. There there is a lot to like here, but his profile has kind of changed a little bit over the past few years when he was a first rounder, and of course, that's why he's dropped a good fifty picks since then. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, Alex Bregman is a guy we talked about on the third base show. Similar situation with him because of just one injury. Went from being a top 15, 16 player to going ADP between 75 and 90, right? Um, But let's just not forget how good these players have been. And we're not Mm -hmm. talking about a 33-year-old. Lindor's in his late 20s. That's true. And we did mention, yeah, we did mention on the last show that Paul Goldschmidt, or maybe it was two shows ago, that Paul Goldschmidt, did kind of figure out Bush Stadium a bit in his second year. Maybe Lindor does that too, and he knocks down 30 homers and rips off 20 steals if he stays fully healthy. I know that. Uh, well, if the Mets are a competitive team like we believe they could be this year, it also gives him a lot more incentive to swipe some extra bags, right? Yeah. So. Now, you've got me a bit more warmed up on him earlier. I was, I was now, just fine with him at ADP. It's, about, it's about their drive, their draft price more so yes. than the actual player themselves. The players themselves, if they're in these tiers, they're good players. It's more so the draft price for me. Uh, but let's move over to another tier, the rock-solid tier with Corey Seager, Wander Franco, Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, and Willie Adamas. And I think adoration would be an understatement for this tier. It's not the best, but it's my favorite in terms of value. Um, any of these guys really could be top five to seven shortstops overall, but you're getting them in the 11 to 16 range in terms of shortstops, so right there, the earning potential is huge. But Seager, an amazing bat, concern similar to Lindor, just opposite leagues, leaving the NL, going to the AL, going to a new team, new league, new ballpark. Differences, Lindor's lineup is good. Seager's, they've made some adjustments, but it's much worse than what he had with the Dodgers. Wander Franco, a rising star. Uh, What he did in the final two months of 2021 is only a small sample of how good this guy is going to be moving forward. A bit more to be desired in the stolen base and home run department could come with more major league experience, though. And then Correa, 
really only falling because he's yet to sign. And where he does eventually sign, surely going to impact the value. Not swiping bags anymore, but can hit for average 25 to 30 homers, 90 plus RBIs and run potential if he can remain healthy. Has been an issue for him in the past, though. Your thoughts on Correa, Franco, and Seager? Correa, really good ball player. He's one of the guys that I think is a better real-life player than fantasy based, based on the fact he doesn't steal. And his batting averages have not been that consistent. They've fluctuated over the years. He's a fairly he's a fairly high-floor player, but this is not really what I'm looking for unless he were to slip well past ADP since putting a zero in at steals without the promise of guaranteed batting average like Seager provides. It's just not something I'm willing to do. Seager, on the other hand, he has had a lot of discussion about his poor health track record and look he did have bad health in the beginning of his career whenever he missed a lot of games but in 2020 I know it was just a 60 gamer but he still stayed pretty much fully healthy that year and then last year his only issue was based on a hit by pitch so I would consider that into the flute category low strikeout rate really really strong average good power no steals is a killer though so that's kind of unless he slips past ADP and with the park downgrade, I was a lot warmer on Seager before he moved to Texas. And with the no steals and the down downgrade and, and park and lineup kind of has me a little bit off him, but he's still a hell of a hitter. Yeah, pure hitter would be my uh, my explanation mm-hmm. for him. Wander Franco. Wander, really. Wander Franco is a tough one because we know he has that. Honestly, sky's the limit upside, but he is so young. And you just don't know how these guys are going to adjust in their second year. We know he clearly was able to make adjustments to the way he was being pitched, which is why he finished the season so strongly. But now, all this time, all this offseason, teams are going to be more prepared for him again. Is he going to be good enough? I know he's way beyond his years in approach, but is he going to be good enough to adjust to those adjustments and continue to adjust to those adjustments across a full first MLB season? I think he can, but I do think there is some risk despite him being such an elite talent. From a batting average and an OBP perspective, he is going to be a monster. He just turned 21 last week, and he's going to be a killer in that category. However, steals are important to get at shortstop and he's not necessarily going to provide them two steals last year in 70 games is not cutting the mustard the seven home runs that he hit last year i know you can't just say that's what he's going to do this year but i'm personally not going to project wander franco for over 20 homers next year he could do that players can just explode like we saw vlad jr do as well as uh luis robert but with wander the lack of uh power juice and and not many steals that I can project even though he is an amazing hitter at only 21 not interested in him next year unless he were to slip and even whenever he slipped Lou to pick 70 I grabbed him in one of my drafts at that range as my middle infield I still didn't really like it just didn't sit right with me even though he slipped a lot past ADP yeah I mean hell of a player but there's certain things he's lacking in his game at least at this point maybe he improves upon those as early as this season two other players in this tier they might present the most value at the position too. Swanson and Adamas coming off breakout seasons we saw them post career highs in homers RPIs and runs we know Adamas will hit for more average Swanson going to steal more bases either way 
Don't think you can go wrong with either guy. And there's a point in the draft where I was actually, or not this most recent draft for TGFBI, but there was a point in a draft of mine where I was debating on taking them back-to-back for shortstop and middle infield. This is my absolute sweet spot. If somehow I missed out on the elites and I don't have a shortstop yet, this is the last opportunity for me to feel amazing about my shortstop. Swanson has been one of my absolute biggest targets this offseason. 25 home run potential, 10 plus steal potential. 250 batting average is a little bit negative, but it's not going to hurt you too much. And really good runs in RBIs because he stays fully healthy. He's a max volume player, and I think he's a wonderful pick here. With Willie Adamas, I think he's a very similar kind of guy, except maybe a little bit less speed, uh, but potentially a little bit better batting average. He also has destroyed outside of Tropicana Field, and he's mentioned that uh, the the lighting in the Tropicana Field has caused issues for him. Impossible to prove, but the numbers do uh, support that statement. These are the last two shortstops, Lou, that I feel thrilled about starting. And after that, I think a cliff starts to hit personally for me. Yeah, I think the rest of the players are really more of your middle infield types and not the starting shortstop. Uh, Are you ready to get to those players? Yes, I am. And I will say just one more time, please draft Swanson and Adamas. Those guys are ballers. Yeah, love them both. Love where they're both going. Next tier is good middle infield options. Well put, my friend. We just said that. Um, Chris Taylor, Ahmed Rosario, Jake Cronenworth, Brendan Rogers, Gleyber Torres, and Luis Urias. Definitely some good options still. I've spoken, I feel like, at nauseum about Cronenworth on these shows because of his eligibility, so I'm not going to add anything here. Maybe you want to. I'll give you some time to do that. But some thoughts quickly on the other guys. Taylor eligible at second, short, Mm -hmm. uh, third in some places, and outfield. Uh, Hits in a good lineup, going to play every day, can hit 20 homers, can swipe 10 to 15 bags. Very solid player, and I love that you can pretty much play him anywhere uh positional eligibility for urius is something i really like the power numbers he put up a year ago are also very encouraging as well was so good in june august and september he's kind of somewhat post hype as well because he's been in the league now for going to be his fifth year and he's only 24 so uh called up at 19 probably a little early by the padres which is where he was back then um but enough time in the big leagues now to kind of settle in and i like him around pick 175 180 or so which is where you can get him yeah to hit up on urias first he is uh i knew he had a really good year 23 homers is wonderful for a guy whose power was a question mark based on his scouting grades he only had a 40 to 45 future value on his game power so to see that get ticked up a notch is really good his hit tool was always the big selling point and that kind of Maybe he sold out some batting average for power. Either way, I think that he's a solid, safe, steady, triple eligibility guy that you can plug into third base, and then until you can secure someone else, you can have him as insurance policy as a backup to move around. Really good pick there. Uh, even though the steals are not amazing, he's just a solid solid little bat that should continue to grow as he's still super young. Chris Taylor, uh, you and I are both leading the charge on the Taylor fan club. The strikeouts have gone up a little bit. 29% K rate is a little worrisome, but this guy is patient. 11% walk rate. He has a he has a plan at the plate, and more importantly, he's going to hit an elite lineup. 92 runs scored last year for the Dodgers. It's amazing. 2010 potential. 
They signed him for a four-year, $64 million deal, investing heavily in him, and I think he's going to be a huge part of their team with full-time plate appearances incoming. I love Taylor. As you know, I have him as many places as possible. Some other guys here in this tier, though, uh, there's Rosario, Rodgers, and Glaber. With Rosario, he could be a 15-homer, 15-stolen base guy in a good year, and I do like him some. Career 272 hitter, batted 282 last season, which was his first full season in Cleveland and um, in the American League. So if he can repeat that, he might actually end up being an average booster with power and mm-hmm. speed uh brendan rogers coming off his first productive season in major league baseball not gonna swipe bags which will hurt you in the middle infield but did show power runs and batting average abilities hit well in cores which is nice but the most encouraging sign for him something i've talked to you a lot about with him because i've looked at him in a number of drafts is hitting away from course he was actually better away from Coors. And if he can be consistent like that, this could be a massive breakout player this season, despite the lack of stolen bases. And finally, in this tier with Glaber Torres, um, I actually wrote in the Roto Masters 2 Facebook chat the other day that this season for Glaber is kind of where he needs to prove it. Andrew McQuiston and I were going back and forth on him. And I said specifically, is he going to be Jorge Polanco, 30 homer, solid batting average, solid speed with counting stats? Or is he going to be Paul DeYoung? who basically just exists in the lineup, will hit some homers. Uh, We've seen him be elite, but we've also seen him be a huge letdown. It's risky, but also could be very rewarding with Glaber Torres. Yeah, I'll kind of work in reverse order there. With Torres, the 14 steals just completely cleaned up his his poor season. But before that, over his previous uh, 309 games played, he only had 12 steals. So I think relying on double-digit steals is a little risky. Maybe it could hit, but I don't really know what to expect on his steals. And the power, as we know, completely dried up. Uh, James Anderson put that this guy was literally the poster child for the juice ball era whenever he cranked 38 home runs back in 2019, and those days are kind of gone. I think if you're looking at him as a 15-10 kind of guy as a floor, with upside for plenty more, with a 260 average, and you can live with that, hitting for the Yankees, so good counting stats, then he's a solid little pick here. He could go 20 I have no shares to be, to, I just want to put it out there. As the resident Yankee fan on this show, I don't have any Glaber shares this year. I, I don't either. I, I'm not super interested in him, but I think, honestly, a, a 10 a ten steal, 15 homer kind of thing is possible. He could do a little bit better, but... Man, he has not been the same hitter since 2019. Absolutely not. Far from it. Rodgers and Rosario, what do you got on them? Yeah, Rodgers, I think you, you hit it pretty well there. He's he's a good hitter. He's going to have the benefit of cores. Despite the fact that people have felt like he's probably been around for over a decade, he's only 25, So and he hasn't really gotten his reps underneath him at the MLB level due to injury issues plaguing him. Uh, I like Rodgers. Yeah, Rodgers has basically been highly touted since he was in the womb. He has, and and I kind of liked him more theoretically than I have in the draft table, which I guess is just planning, and then once you get to the table, you don't want to take him as much because like, I really thought I was going to be all over him, but his lack of steals are kind of tough. Uh, and then on Rosario, this is actually my number one target here in this tier, and I, I think that he has some, honestly, explosion potential you mentioned the fact that he has a good batting average floor but he also was perfect on the stolen bases last year going 13 for 13 
and the power is not that good, but he's a max playing time player uh, for Cleveland. So I think that he could hit 12 to 15 homers with 20 to 25 plus steals. If well, imagine, imagine even 15 homers. Sorry. Yeah. 15 homers, 18 steals and like 275. all very, very doable for him. Absolutely. This is a guy that uh, is uh, kind of the definition of, of post hype and really his, his, his only bad season two out of the past three years for a fantasy perspective was in 2020, which we're already kind of, we should give a pass to anyway. We pretty much throw that out the window. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, kind of summing it up here. Rosario is an amazing steals target. If you kind of just need to clean that up a little bit and tack on some more Rogers is a high floor hitter. who's going to be hitting in cores. If you've already addressed steals, with some outfielders that are going to run like Cedric Mullins or Randy or Rosarena. I'm good with adding Rodgers and his dual eligibility. Torres, on the other hand, maybe he could go a 15-10 kind of a year with a decent average, but I'm just not really interested in him too much. Unless he were to slip to about 180, then I might start to be tempted. Definitely, and I mean, it's only one league, but I can tell you in my TGFBI league, Torres went around ADP. Rodgers went over 40 picks later. Uh, I was very surprised by it. Yeah, I uh, that that is uh, that is wild to see there with with him slipping so much. I have one more bonus name that I added into to our sheet here because I uh, I didn't have him in there originally. I have to admit that, but big bonus name here, Bobby Witt Jr. He actually belongs in the Adamas Swanson tier, but I needed to mention him here. No, I, I got you. Yeah, I'm glad you did. People were probably listening to be like, "How do you not talk about Bobby <laughs> Witt Jr." on your shortstop show. Um, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot to like about his profile, five-tool talent potentially. Um, and does he have third-base eligibility right now? I don't think he does, but he, no. should, he should get it very quickly. Um, either way, I mean, there's a chance he doesn't start with the Royals in the big leagues. I doubt it, though. I think he's going to be there from day one. Um, even if the average and OBP drop some from the adjustment to the big leagues, I think the power and the speed is there. So um, I, I really don't think he's being overdrafted. I just don't have any shares yet. Interesting. Yeah. I, with me personally, prospects, it's been tough the past couple of years. And with Bobby Witt Jr., he could absolutely explode and provide even a 25, 25 year. I mean, he, that's possible. But he also could struggle quite a bit, too. And the range of outcomes is just too wide for me to pass on him. When I can get a player that was a, a top 80 overall player last year in Dansby Swanson, who's already done it, who's 28 years old, he knows how to play, he knows how to make adjustments, I would just rather go with a Swanson or even an Adamas over Witt Jr.'s mouthwatering upside. No question. And they're going, what, 60 picks later? Uh, and some some leagues where people are aggressive on wit, but you know wit has a wide range. You have people that are kind of like me that are a little bit uh, patient with him or or passive rather. And then you have some where he's gone even in the fourth round of seen this year. So. See that is crazy to me. But <laughs> I'm going to say there's at least one of 15 people or one of 12 people, depending on your league size, who are willing to take weight in the top 100. And that's why I have no shares of him. Because I'm not. I tell you though, at at ADP, I would I would rather have uh, Witt Jr. and his steals upside than than Wander Franco. That's not really much of a take or anything, because you know I've heard a lot of people say that. But I just well, wanted that's to not that even there. you saying that Wander Franco is not better than Witt Jr. It's just saying that you want the steals upside. 
Exactly. So, I mean, that's something you got to think about. Next here, the high upside what-ifs. we got Eugenio Suarez, Brandon Crawford, O'Neal Cruz, and Gavin Lux. And although he doesn't hit for a high average, Suarez still has a ton of power, good ballpark, good lineup, and has that unique position eligibility, too, at shortstop and third base. I like him at third base a lot if I have waited to fill that position, but I think he's kind of best suited as a power-hitting middle infielder, especially if you've kind of taken care of stolen bases in other areas during your draft Crawford had his best season of his career last year at the age of 34. I don't expect him to necessarily repeat the power, certainly not the stolen bases, but he's a guy that's locked into playing time. You can draft him outside of the top 200, and he's a very solid choice for your middle infield later in the draft. And then quickly with Cruz and Lux, they're guys who I have no shares of yet, but it's not because I'm not interested. I just haven't been willing to take them at their ADP. Cruz has a nice power-speed combo. Could be a 15-15 type of player. Lux has a chance to finally get consistent playing time. People seem to be kind of passing him by now that he appears to be a post-hype prospect. But he did finish 2021 strong. And again, Muncy is injured. Seager's gone. The NLDH. There's a really good chance he can play every day. And I believe there's still a lot of upside in him. Yeah, this is a this is still a good this is still a good grouping of, of batters to add to your team. Crawford is maybe underrated this year. I know that if we were playing, you know, 10, 15 years ago, someone sees twenty four homers and eleven steals, he would have gotten drafted a lot higher. Now that we have all the saber metrics and analytics, people know better. But still, if he's playing, you know, five to you know, six days a week plus for, for the Giants hitting in a good spot in the lineup. I think 20 and 10 is very possible, and people are just casting him aside. Don't don't uh, don't agree there. I think he's reasonable. Suarez, on the other hand, is uh, a lot tougher to kind of figure out. I think that we could see a batting average bounce back. His, his BABIP was unbelievably low at 224. When on his career, he's more of a 299 guy. That's not probably what he is anymore since he's a bit older, slower. And strikes up a bit more than he used to, but I think a 230 and 30 plus homer year is in the cards. And with dual eligibility, that's really good to be able to slot him all around in your lineup. And then I'll kind of be brief on the last two guys, O'Neill Cruz and Lux. Cruz has intense upside. I don't really know what to expect from him, but his power is 80 grade raw power per fan graphs. And look, this guy's stolen plenty of bases in the minors, so he could easily do it again for, for, for Pittsburgh at the big leagues. I don't know, though. It's just at that point, he's still going around players like A.J. Pollock and just a bunch of other really more proven guys that I'd rather trust, but I can see the upside with Cruz. With Lux, uh, lastly, the playing time looks to finally be uh, be entrenched for him. He hasn't necessarily force the Dodgers hands to get a regular role. His career WRC plus is below league average, you know, 14% below league average. So that's a little iffy. He doesn't really have much in the steals department. He doesn't really have much in the batting average or power department, but he also hasn't had full-time playing time to, to get his legs under him. Still at the end of the day, based on the fan scouting report, he was a 70 grade prospect and those players will always catch my eye, but for whatever reason, I just haven't uh, haven't felt the need to go for Lux because I just don't see what's the standout tool per se. 
Fair enough on both those guys. We ready for that final tier? Yes, I am. All right. The leftovers, J.P. Crawford, Miguel Rojas, Gio Rochella, Josh Rojas, Paul DeYoung, Andres Jimenez, Nicky Lopez, Haseon Kim, and Joey Wendell. And there's maybe four or five players I'm going to have ownership of in this tier. Crawford, Rochella, maybe one share each of Jimenez, Lopez, and Wendell. I look at Urshela, solid defender, above average bat, plays on a good team. Crawford kind of entering his prime on an up-and-coming Mariners team, seeing the batting average and on-base percentage improve every season, not stealing as many bags as you would hope, not going to hit for much power either, but I would probably take him as a bench bat in case the power does develop more and the steals maybe do develop more as he, again, just... Um, has more experience in the big leagues. Now with the other three who I would have interest in. Jimenez, if given full-time at bat, might be a 10-homer, 10-stolen bases guy. Certainly yeah. can be helpful, but not if he bats 220 like he did a year ago. Lopez, intriguing if you want late speed. Problem is he has no power at all. And prior to 2021, he never even hit above 240 in the big league. So it's kind of hard to trust a guy that he can repeat a 300 average he put up a year ago when the jump was 60-plus points in average. And then Joey Wendell quickly. Uh, most accomplished of the three guys I've just mentioned. Uh, isn't going to be great at anything, but he can kind of help you a little bit everywhere. Career 271 hitter, can hit double-digit homers, can swipe 8 to 12 bases is going to a worse ballpark and a worse lineup in Miami compared to where he was in Tampa the past four years. So that is something you have to keep in consideration. Wow. We've really hit the dregs here. If uh, Joey Wendell's the most proven of those guys. <laughs> no, that's good stuff though, Lou. Wendell is, these guys are really mostly just reserve bats, insurance policy, DCs and draft and holds. You just need someone to plug in there. JP Crawford, gold glove guy. He's going to keep his job. Not a lot of upside, but if he does actually continue to lead off since his plate skills are pretty good, that's some sneaky runs scored. I've seen some arguments out there that say that he's being overdrafted around pick 300 because he doesn't have much upside. And sure, you could go for a Nick Ahmed or an Elvis Andrews who have a job later, but J.P. Crawford ain't going to lose his job. He's still young and great glove. Rojas is similar. He's very bland, but if you can go for a 10-10 season, he's the heart and soul of the team. He's not going to lose his job in Miami either. Uh, as far as Geo, we have hit on him in the third base spot. I've started to be a little bit more thinking that he is going to preserve his job since his defense is really good, so I'm, I'm happier with him. Um, and then as far as new guys that we haven't talked about, because we'd hit up a Rojas previously, as well as uh, Lopez, I believe, with uh, with Paul DeJong, he actually started working with um, with a new hitting coach this year, and there could be a, a serious development there. I believe the hitting coach that he was he was working with had worked with Justin Turner, if I if my memory serves correctly, and he also has proven 30 home run power. It was with a poor batting average, but a player who can hit 30 bombs going this late, uh, and he's only 28, 29 years old. Uh, there's a bit of intrigue there for me. Haseon Kim, uh, last but not least, as a Swiss Army knife, he's going to get more accustomed to life in the United States. Coming over from, from Asia over to the U.S. is always a big challenge. And I think as a, as a, as a reserve, just kind of slot him in as a backup third baseman, shortstop, and second baseman, I think Haseon Kim could provide a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, and 
hopefully some good playing time if the Padres don't continue to bolster their roster on the hitting side. All good points, man. Anything else on any of this tier? Not on this tier, no. All right. Well, I guess at this point I'll tell you good luck for the rest of your TGFBI draft. Of course, next week we'll be back with two outfield shows in the middle of the week. They'll be out by uh, Friday. But any final thoughts here in general? No, I think uh, I think that this is a, a very rich position, but it's also a position that you need to have a really good plan on. We talked about a handful of players that didn't provide steals, and that being a negative, whether it was Brendan Rodgers or a Corey Seager to kind of go up and down the spectrum there. Uh, so it's important to try to get steals from this spot if you can. And last but not least, just really don't wait much past Swanson and Adamas. Now, if you have a great feeling about a, a Cronenworth is going to go off or, or something like that, you know, I'm sure you can, you know, you can feel free to do that. But with me personally, there's not a chance that I'm going to be willing to wait past uh, Swanson and Adamas because after that, I think you're just going to take too much of a hit uh, at the best position out there in fantasy. All great points, man. Great stuff. Uh, I will say, I believe the baseball pods, Twitter, um, podcast bracket begins next week lucas baseball is on the bracket so if you want to go support lucas and i look out for that i'm sure we'll be retweeting stuff uh we're coming in as underdogs so we could use all the help we can get but this has been the lucas baseball podcast shortstop rankings edition brought to you by drrodo.com check out our fantasy baseball draft guide you will not be disappointed folks great work by everyone involved there i'm lou landers with co-host lucas beery and thanks for listening to the lucas baseball podcast we'll catch you next time